welcome to Prophecy Keepers, and welcome to the White Roots of Peace Council. And uh, so, yeah, to tell us about your tell us about your life, and and um, just let your mind. Uh, well, I'm sure you know how to how to let your mind wander and get into an altered state. And tell folks about what you do and why you do it. Uh, well, I am a my own calendar keeper. So I write the calendar and I keep track of it and I um, tell people about it, you know, how they can apply this to their lives. It's kind of like astrology, but uh, a Native American astrology is different than the other one. Uh, how did I get into this uh, occupation? This was uh, when I was 11 years old. I was living in the capital of Honduras and my father uh, was killed because he was a Mayan uh, Indian rebel. He was fighting to get back their land in Guatemala. So he was uh, in this uh, guerrilla movement fighting the army because they've been kind of uh, taking more land from the Mayans. And he decided that he wanted to just uh, uh, fight against them, against the army. And uh, he has been doing that since 1956, 57. And uh, when when he got killed, it was about uh, 1969, and I was 11, and I, uh, my mom has married uh, my stepfather because uh, she just gave up on my, my father because, you know, he was hiding from the army all the time, and he was nowhere to be found. You know, I remember seeing him only once in my life. And uh, uh, my stepfather... Um, after he found out that my father was dead, and um, it's kind of a, a lot of other things happening there. My mom was sick, and they got taken to a hospital, and, um, and he was abusing me. So, you know, I don't know this machismo thing about, you know, that I was not from him. So I didn't know what to do, and finally at 11, I kind of uh, run away. Um, in my mind, I had the uh, idea that I wanted to go to the ocean because I've seen pictures. Um, it seems like the open ocean, the blue, you know, to the infinite. So that will be uh, like a reprieve from all these um, kind of tortures my stepfather was doing to me. So, um, but since I was 11 and I kind of started this journey in the middle of the night, uh, the capital of Honduras is about uh, maybe a hundred miles away from the ocean, but I didn't understand this too good. You know, I thought I was gonna just walk there. Um, turned out the journey became kind of difficult uh, to get there, and then I didn't know where in the ocean I wanted to be. I just uh, let people tell me where was the best part of the ocean to be at, and I end up there. You know, on a beach in the Caribbean. And then I realized that, um, you know, the next day, and then the next day, it was nice. I love the ocean. I feel like I've been there before, and I feel like at home, but I was hungry, you know, and I didn't thought about these consequences when I ran away. And then one of the nights that I was there sleeping on the beach, uh, an old Mayan shaman came and uh, picked me, told me to go with him. At the beginning, I didn't want to go with him, but I was really hungry. And um, he had his kids with him, so I figured, you know, this guy seemed to be safe. 
Then uh, he took me up in the jungle to live in the village with them, with the other Mayan people there. Later on, he explained to me that he was trying to find a person to uh, continue the, um, the tradition with the calendar. He was a calendar keeper also, and a healer. He did a lot of herbs and a lot of um, spiritual cures for people in the community. And um, he told me that he had this vision when he was told that the person that needed to inherit the knowledge was going to be that night in that beach. So he went there trying to look for me. He says he was very upset about it, my age. You know, he thought they're going to send somebody older that could understand better the calendar. So he started this uh, difficult journey trying to teach me the calendar because I didn't want to learn the calendar. You know, I was coming from the capital city. Um, I was being abused that we were from a higher level in society, you know, middle class family. They had a, in the 60s, we had a, a car, TV, refrigerator, everything, all the modern stuff. We had it in the house. And I was living with these people that were barefoot all the time, you know. So it was hard for me to adapt to this other kind of life, you know, and it was um, it was very difficult, uh, but somehow I learned to, I learned many things, and that kind of changed my life, you know, because I got a different perspective about uh, the Mayans that I could not have because my father was dead, and all my family from my father was um uh, rejected from getting close to me. My stepfather blocked my mom from giving me any information about my family. So that was a journey about four years that I lived with them. And we, uh, he taught me how to fish. We went hunting in the jungle. And where we were fishing, waiting for fish, he would talk about the calendar. He knew that I didn't want it to learn. But he was very patient. And he kept going on thinking and uh, talking to me while we were fishing. And you know how fishing is. You just wait there for a yeah. long time. So so he had a lot of opportunity to talk. You know, I he he couldn't see this, but I was a lot of times rolling my eyes, you know, and thinking, you know, this old man is crazy. But some of the stuff that he was telling me eventually kind of... Uh, you know, so much, so many times he said it, that I kind of, it kind of got in my head. So eventually, I kind of uh, understood that that was uh, not the kind of life that I wanted to live, because uh, it was very hard life to live uh, there. You know, just uh, living out of the jungle and and the fishing. The dangers were a lot of many dangers there. And I thought that I needed to go back to the city, and I went and lived with my grandmother, and my uh, mother could not help me to pay for my school, because my stepfather forbid her to help me at all with any school's expenses. So when I got back to the capital city, I had to work, pay my own way for the school. So, you know, I graduated from high school and went to the university, Eventually, I ended up graduating as a computer analyst. Uh, one of the first um, computer analysts uh, graduated, and the, I was the first from the first class that was graduated at the university in this um, in this discipline 
because there was no the the government has brought no computers. They didn't have nobody to manage them. But that's why they they proposed these new uh, graduation you know classes to graduate new people that they can handle this. And I was I got a great job with the government, and I thought that what that was what I was gonna do for the rest of my life. You know, I got great pay, um, big house, cars. Everything was going pretty good for me. And every time that I went back to visit the old shaman, he would remind me that uh, what my destiny was. And I tried to have excuses for that, you know. Lady, later, I told him, maybe I'll do it. By now, I'm kind of busy with my school work. And uh, to compensate for what they did for me, you know, all the... The hospitality they allowed me to live with them and taught me I decided that I needed to um, participate in the community like in the Red Cross in other groups um, to help people that were in need so I kind of uh, went to hospital public hospitals um, I went into the war zone and the war in Nicaragua this is when the Nicaragua war was happening with the Sandinistas and the Somosistas and since my father uh, was one of the founders of the Sandinistas, so I um, thought it was uh, an obligation for me to go and help, uh, help with the Red Cross. I was not about to grab a gun. I'm kind of a coward that way, I guess. So um, I was just in a humanitarian way. I went to pick up uh, all the dead bodies, the battlefields, um, pick up the wounded, pick up all the refugees, and bringing it back to Honduras. And I work in refugee camps, you know, helping uh, people there. I felt that very rewarding. And uh, I thought I was, like I said, I did this in the weekend. In the weekdays, I had my work with the government. I was the chief of the computing department there, did all the statistics of the whole country. And I was very appreciated by the people there, the, the government people. But I didn't know the secret police was um, keeping tabs on me, you know, checking my outings to the war zone and checking that I had been participating in a protest from the university, protest for getting uh, health care, um, better the hospitals, you know, protest against the country getting more weapons from the U.S., you know, more tanks and airplanes. Because they keep saying the Russians were coming or the communists or whatever they make up, you know. So um, eventually, you know, this caught up to me. So um, I ended up being captured by the army, by the secret police. One night when I was getting out of work, they just kidnapped me uh, when I got out of my car and took me to this uh, headquarters, military headquarters, where I was uh, uh, tortured and raped and question about who the other people that were connected with this uh, supposedly conspiracy. And um, I didn't have any answers because I was not really into any arm movement. I didn't know anything about that, you know. And so they say, uh, since I didn't want to confess or sign anything, I was labeled to be executed. And I thought that was going to be the end, you know. I felt... You know, I, I felt like, why did I do wrong in my life to deserve all this, what they did to me? And then there was a 
I didn't know what time of the day it was, but it was like at night. There was like a big noise outside the headquarters. So all the military run up with their guns outside. And one little soldier guy stayed behind and he opened my cell and gave me my clothes and told me, get the hell out of here, they're gonna kill you tomorrow. Get out of the country. I know you're a good person. You gotta get out of here. So I kind of escaped. He showed me a back door where I escaped out of this place and I got out of the country and ended up here in Minnesota. Uh, and I've been here since, uh, what, about 30, 37 years ago. Wow. And uh, once I got here, I was kind of, um, you know, um, not feeling so well, you know, because I had all my life planned. And I ended up in a place where I was, um, I came here because I had some relatives. But and then they didn't want it to help once I was here. And I ended up um, living in the street and shelters, churches, and not knowing how to speak English. And it was very hard, you know. Um, but once I got going, a few years, I went to work. I got work and... Then I started getting these uh, dreams with the old shaman telling me there was, uh, that I needed to take my destiny. This was about 1987. And he wouldn't leave me alone. It was like I could not sleep at night because he kept saying, you need <laughs> yep. to do this. This is your destiny. And then uh, I didn't know. I, I don't believe in uh, too much in doctors and things like that. You know, they just try to give you uh, chemicals to, and I don't want to deal with that. So I decided that I needed to go to a Native American, try to find a Native American cure. So I went to visit um, spiritual guides and uh, medicine men in Pine Ridge and Sisseton and Red Lake to try to see if any of them will have some sort of a, a ceremony, some sort of a something that will clear these old men from my head because he just wouldn't let me sleep at night, you know. <laughs> but uh, all of them concluded that I needed to do what the old man says if I didn't do that something bad was going to happen to me <laughs> so you know after that I decided well I guess I had to do this so I started to uh, write the calendar in about 1988 89 and but it was very hard because since I didn't want it to pay attention and I didn't want it to learn now it's very hard to patch together this thing, you know, just from a few memories. And I got the basics, but I needed more. So um, I went to to Hamlin University here, and I took all the Mayan class in archaeology and tried to understand the side of uh, what scientists says about the calendar. And I tried to merge what they say, what the old shaman said, you know, and then I uh, started to write the calendar. And ever since then, I've been uh, working in it for years and tried to understand it, and it still was very hard, you know, because um, the old shaman told me that it was my destiny, but he was not really helping me that much in those years, you know. Once I started doing the calendar, he quit. He let me sleep again. But he was not really coming to my um, help to tell me the stuff that, it, <laughs> that I have forgotten. And 
you know, pieces that were missing there. So I worked for years very hard trying to, I was running the calendar fine. It was uh, mechanically, it seems to be running okay. Um, you know, I got the glyphs in, uh, but there was a time in like in the middle of the 90s where I kind of got, um, I got kind of uh, disenchanted about this, you know, because I worked so hard and then this system that we live in to, um, requires you to work and to pay bills and to do all these other things. And when you dedicate so much time to these other things, then you can't keep up with the other stuff. And so I decided to put away the calendar for a while and try to pay all my bills. You know, you really make a lot of money or something because I'm a workaholic once I get going. So, um, in those days, I also got involved with somebody, which was something that the old shaman has warned me against, you know, to get involved with somebody. I got married. So, uh, I went to work a lot and gathered a lot of houses. I owned three, four houses, um, money in the stock market, and I figured that when I had enough wealth, I can go back to the calendar. But the problem is the more stuff that you have, the more compromises and the more money you need to sustain all these things, you know? It's like a cash yep. 22 thing. So I was, uh, I ended up working like three jobs in order to pay all these repairs in different houses, um, try to get renters, they wouldn't pay sometimes and I'm not the kind of person that's going to be, uh, you know, too much into asking for money. So then I got sick, you know, suddenly I got sick and I ended up um, uh, in a coma um, for bonds. And they say I was dying, that I was going to die because I had toxoplasmosis, um, uh, meningitis. Um, I, they find I had AIDS. They find out I had AIDS, that's because I decided to get involved and to get married. My uh, husband, he's dead already from the disease. And um, and uh, then I was dying. And then when I was in the middle of this process of dying, uh, the hospital, from coma, and consciousness, and coming back, and all these houses and all these things, you know, the old shaman came back. He seemed to be better now. He looks better. He talked to me. I can hear clear what he says. And he told me, you lost your way. You didn't come here to acquire things. Uh, you know what your destiny is. And I still don't understand why he tells me this. If I'm dying, you know, it's no use. But he keeps saying that, you know. And he started to explain things about the calendar. <laughs> And I didn't understand why he kept explaining things when I'm supposed to be dying, you know. But, um, you know, they eventually they sent me up to a hospice because I lost my eyesight. Um, I couldn't walk anymore because these uh, little buggers say that my nerves, nerves endings in the brain that moves the... So, you know, they sent me to a hospice. And then suddenly uh, I started gaining uh, my vision back. And then the first thing that I asked was for pen and paper. And I started to write down the calendar again. 
Um, and now I understood better. I He was giving me more detailed explanations about many things that were kind of unknown to me. And um, the more I do the calendar, the better I was getting. And then eventually, you know, I got kicked out of the hospice uh, because they say I was, doesn't look like I was dying anymore. <laughs> so the doctors think that I'm some sort of miracle or something. Um, they mm-hmm. still... Uh, they do touch time on my brain, and they say that it looked like, a, you know, like a bunch of holes everywhere. That I should be a vegetable. They don't understand how I still function. Um, but I still going, and the calendar became, the understanding became better. This happened around the year 2000. But about 2001, they, um, they, find out that they can't find the vitals in my test anymore. So ever since then, they have not been able to find the vitals. Uh, they do test every three months. Uh, they still think that maybe it's hiding somewhere. But I got and better what, and better. What was, it what was it they're looking for? Uh, you know, they have a test. Where they, when you have AIDS, um, they get... Uh, Every three months, you go for a test. For test. In a vial of blood, they have a machine or a test that can count how many HIV viruses they can find oh, okay, in virus. a sample okay. of blood. Right. So mm-hmm. mine has been uh, non-found since 2001. And my T-cell, when I was in the coma, was 14 T-cells in a sample of blood. A normal human being should have at least 400 and I have 14, so that's why they thought I was going to die. There's no way to get back because those T-cells are the ones that you're born with, so they are not... Your uh, immune system. It's not replaceable, you know. It's kind of like... A <laughs> there's a, a, a short amount of them that you're with them once you become a kid and then you grow older and then, you know, but, you know, they have been um, growing them somehow. And so after that, I've been just working in the calendar ever since. You know, I lost everything, so i kind of a homeless person in a way. But, you know, I just keep working in the calendar, you know, leaving the basement of my daughter's you know, house. My daughter is uh, older now. When I got sick, she was put in a foster home, so I couldn't take care of her. So that's pretty much the, you know, in a short way that my life, you know. And then, then what happened was, and I, I still didn't know why I was learning all this because nobody wanted to learn this thing, you know. It's, um, uh, I could not go down there because they want to kill me down there. And um, once in a while, there'll be somebody that will want to know something about it, so I teach them. But um, the knowledge about the calendar accelerated about 2009. About 2009, something happened. In Honduras, there was a coup d'etat against this guy, uh, for the, this president, for the first time in the history of that country, decided to give money to the native tribes. 
and decided to give them radio stations so they can start teaching their languages again, which that's unheard of. No president in history ever done that. And this guy came up with free lunches in public schools and, you know, opened more health stuff. And I thought, I can't believe it, you know. Change has come. It's actually some guy that is changing history here. So everything seemed okay, and then all of a sudden it seemed like the U.S. did not like his policies, and the guy was a good time. The army took him out, and, you know, everything went back to normal, as has been for hundreds of years. And then I was um, talking to people then in a chat room, because I wanted to see how many people they killed, and because it was a bloody coup d'etat, how many people they killed. And then uh, I say goodbye in my end to these people. And then they, they question me, what was that? And I told them, it's your own ancient language, you know. Because the people down there are not taught these things, you know. You go to school and they teach you to hate native stuff. Even if you're native, they teach you to, to hate it. They don't teach you anything about the, the Mayan, anything about the language. The government only cared to uh, have people to dress up so had to bring tourists into the ancient cities. They, they cared about that, to keep it clean and keep hotels there. People making souvenirs, but other than that, you know, they don't really are interested in teaching people their culture. And then uh, there was a group of people. There was nine people there that wanted me to teach them the calendar. And then finally, I found uh, the reason, I thought, for all this learning, all these years, you know. And now I had a group of people that actually wanted to learn this. And they suggested that I should have a, a blog, and that's how I, uh, that blog, myacron9.com, that blog, myacron blog, was created right. for these nine people. And... Um, uh, from those nine people, the blog kind of spiraled and went global. Now I got something like 150,000, 200,000 people. Wow. And most of, most of them are from Mexico and uh, the U.S. And then Spain, for some reason, Guatemala, and even the Russians. I don't know why they are there. But in... Uh, the reason that the blog was when uh, so popular was because one of the persons that came that was from Mexico wanted to know my other than my last last name, which I didn't wanted to say in those days. And then when I um, confessed my last name, he declared that I was the prophet they'd been waiting for, and I didn't understand what they were saying. I was trying to. But and then what happened is they've been um, followers of um, Jose Arguelles. I don't know if you're familiar with Jose Arguelles. Oh, yeah. oh by so the way, it was, Carlos Bor- it was Carlos Borrios that was my friend Robert Shrewsbury's uh, that introduced me to, to my account. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, so um, he produced this book called, called The Mayan Factor. There was a bestseller, and it was, I guess it was written in 1987, 1986, around that time. And, and my name is mentioned there in the pages that it talked about the sages that were supposed to come in 2012. 
Now, I didn't know this because I had not read that book, but these people have read it, and when they find out that name, then they thought, or they spread the rumor that I was the prophet. So that's how the blog became uh, with so many people. And, um, in those days, you know, 2009, 2010, that's when things accelerated with the old shaman explaining more stuff to me. It seems like he knows more now than he used to know when I met him, you know, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And then he uh, explained a bit, um, to me about the other parameters and how important it was to uh, put it all together because um, uh, for everybody that is listening... The calendar versions that are out there in the internet and the calendar versions that are being kept in Guatemala and Mexico, they are not complete. Um, since the Spanish came and burned all the books and killed all the people they used to know, everything that, you know, the more knowledgeable people, what survived out of the calendar is just the main uh, round of dates. And that one has some damages over the years, over the hundreds, you know, hundreds of years of um, attacks from the Spanish, uh, killing anybody that was following the calendar or writing. So, you know, you got to give credit to all the people that die. They gave their blood and their lives to keep the calendar alive somehow, the idea of the calendar, you know, and without them, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be talking about this because they were the ones that kept the knowledge somehow, and, um, but the knowledge that they are teaching you is missing parts. The calendars have lost a lot of their parts. And some of the archaeologists think they were lost 800 years ago, even before the Spanish got here, but probably they were in the books, but since they burned the books, then we end up with um, just whatever is left, you know. So the old shaman insisted that I needed to put it back together with all the parts as it was supposed to be. And that's what I've been doing. And everything started, um, in my count, the new era began in 2013. It did not become, it started in 2012. So there's many different versions of the calendar. And I tested all those versions and don't seem to square up with some of the other stuff that is more deeper that they don't understand. A lot of people do not understand. Uh, so, uh, all the all the parameters are added up at the beginning of the new era. The new era was the, not the end of the world. It was just the beginning of a new cycle. It's just when the car goes into zero on the odometer. You know, it's not a, the end of... Um, of something, of the world, as the Hollywood was trying to say, you know. And the prophecy, what they say is that the knowledge will come back. And um, like our way is in this book, The Mayan Factor, he didn't say my name, uh, Gina Miranda, what he said was Miranda, because he was talking about the moon and the planet Uranus. And if you read his book, he says that he was taken in a vision when he was in one of the Mayan ruins. In this vision, he was taken in a trip in the solar system, and he was taken to this moon on planet Uranus, and he was told to pay attention to this. So 
he was trying to say that he thought the knowledge was going to come from this moon, Miranda. So he said, Miranda is going to bring the knowledge. He didn't know how this is going to be accomplished. He thought that maybe uh-huh. the moon was going to get this beam of light, and in 2012, this beam of light will immediately give knowledge to some people. But these other people took it like, I'm the light, I'm the information, I'm the... But I'm just receiving information from the other side, so it's not mine, so I'm just uh, applying what they tell me. So it's not like I'm cracking this thing, it's it's, they are telling me. 